Okay, well, welcome to a special podcast. Uh, we're going to respond to the census data, which has come out the last couple of days. So I've got uh, two guests with me, uh, Mark Jury and Lyle Shelton. So Mark is an Anglican uh, minister, theologian, uh, cultural commentator, um, um, author, writer. So uh, he's, a, he's a great friend. And uh, Lyle, also a great friend. Really appreciate uh, your time as well, Lyle. And Lyle is a long time cultural commentator, lobbyist, politician, lots of different things. And, and the recent new uh, national director of the Family First political party. So it's great to have you here, Mark and Lyle. Great to be with you. Likewise. So really interesting, guys. The uh, data just started breaking yesterday. I don't know if you guys are kind of nerdy numbers guys like me, but I like statistics. And uh, I was pretty excited for them to start coming out yesterday. Uh, so we've got about 25 and a half million uh, Aussies. Uh, we seem to be getting more diverse uh, with uh, more migration. I, I think over half of Aussies now have one parent that was born overseas, which uh, which is interesting. And um, the millennials have caught up to the baby boomers as they are the two, basically the same uh, amount of people in each generation there, the millennials and the baby boomers, and they're the dominant uh, generation. So I just slip into the uh, the millennials uh, just by a year or two. Um, but the thing I really want to talk to you guys about and hear from you guys uh, is about this interesting drop uh, in Aussies identifying as Christians. So not really surprising, um, but uh, it continues to slide the amount of Aussies identifying as Christians. So I believe that the number was uh, 44% of Aussies identifying as Christian in the census data. And that's a, well, if you go back two, two census ago, so 2011, um, there was 61% Aussies identifying as Christians. That's a 17% drop. Would you like to say anything about that? The statistics, what do you think uh, is going on in Australia? Mark, maybe we'll hear from you. I think in Australia, there's been a long history of nominalism, particularly from the traditional mainstream denominations. So um, I would say only about 7% of, of census Anglicans in, in the past, in 2011, were actually attending an Anglican church on a kind of regular basis. So what's happening is that the nominals are, are um, turning away from their nominalism. So there's a, a shedding of, um, uh, of Christians who are not actually committed to Christians. Yeah. And I've seen that in pastoral ministry as well, a huge drop off in over the last 20, 30 years in the numbers of people that would be wet, married in a church or have their children christened for cultural reasons um, and funerals no longer in churches. So I think that's the main, um, the main change that's happening. It's not that Australians are just becoming less religious, it's, it's that they're less nominally religious. They're, they're less likely to tick that box on the census. So you think in a way, Mark, they're, just, they're more just being honest with the census? more being honest with faith is at or not at and just saying well i'm not practicing this anyway so i'm not really religious that's right you know they might have ticked presbyterian in the past but they think well i haven't been to church for five years this doesn't make sense so i'm just going to say I, i'm actually not religious and i mean i've known atheists still go to church once a year because they're like christmas carols but but basically we've had a large number of people ticking christian on the census who actually have no no real Christian commitment, except a kind of sense of cultural allegiance, a sense of a memory. And that memory is fading. That that memory is fading. 
And do you think that that's a good or a bad thing? Good that people are being more honest or do you think it's bad and people should more try and align, even if they're not very active, align with some kind of faith? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think people vary on that view. Like there are a lot of people in the Anglican Church that would regret the loss of that sense of nominal allegiance because it's it provides leverage for things like Anglican schools and, and pastoral ministries like weddings and funerals. So there's a loss of opportunities there. But I think it's more honest. And I think people are more likely to say, uh, what would it mean to become a Christian? Instead of saying, oh, I'm a Christian because I tick that box, they're more open to a genuine conversation about what they believe. So I would say it's a good thing that the nominalism is declining. Um, okay. But I think it's, it's misleading to secular commentators because there's a great strength in Christianity that the census is a very poor tool to measure. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, what are your initial thoughts about it all, Lyle? Yeah, I agree with Mark. Um, we are seeing that nominalism drop away. Uh, my understanding is that uh, around about the turn of the 20th century, I think uh, the, the original censuses after Federation showed people um, saying they were Christian uh, somewhere in the mid to high 90s. So a very almost, you know, the entire population identified with Christian at that point. And even up until the 1960s, uh, the census was still showing uh, into the 80 percentile of uh, Australians saying that they were Christians. And of course, that's declined rapidly since the 1960s. But then in recent years, uh, the last two or three censuses, we've seen an actual political campaign by uh, fairly activist atheist groups to try and uh, get people to put uh, no religion and um, to, to really drive those numbers down. Now, that that's fine in one sense in a democracy, but that, that has hastened, I think, um, the, the more honest approach, uh, but perhaps even driven a slightly dishonest approach in the sense that most people uh, are of no religion or, or atheist. Uh, if you really scratch the surface, you'll find they're actually agnostic and open. Uh, but uh, the, the loss of the, um, I guess, the cultural ballast, I think, is probably the, the main disappointment uh, in the uh, driving down of those numbers. But I think uh, the other thing is that we're kidding ourselves if we think that even at 44%, that uh, the vast majority of that 44% of people who identify as Christians are truly devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I think that number is um, you know, somewhere uh, much lower, probably under 10%. Yeah, well, I think, Lyle, that um, it's commonly understood that church attendance is more like 4% uh, in Australia. I think usually that's measured on attendance once a month at church. But I'm, I'm sure after the um, pandemic and the lockdowns and stuff like that, it might only be 2% of people actually that identify as Christian actually attending and practicing their faith in any kind of real communal type way. So I think that that for me is a lot more where the conversation should be at um, for those that are Christians or involved in church or believe in the active following of Jesus. I think it's more about the two, three percent that are actually doing something, and and maybe the census, yes, is is a bit misleading anyway. Around the forty-four percent, I mean, what does that really mean when you tick that box anyway? Um, yeah, I think that's really really interesting. What what do you think, Mark, about the church attendance and actually people really practicing their faith? I think it varies a lot from denomination to denomination. So it's interesting only. Um, a couple of hundred thousand people tick the Pentecostal box, which is um, sort of, you know, 10%, less than 10% of the Anglicans. But in fact, 
Pentecostals are bigger than Anglicans, are stronger than mm. Anglicans in Australia because there's more Pentecostals in church than there are Anglicans and their their presence is increasingly um, the second most important Christian presence in Australia. But the census completely obscures that. Firstly, some Pentecostals don't tick the Pentecostal box. So they don't think of it as a denomination. They tick just, they just write Christian. And so it's, um, I think it's quite misleading. And uh, you have to, you have to deal with each tradition separately and ask, you know, what is their strength and what's their, their likely future? Um, I see some parts of Christianity that have been growing in Australia and, and will continue to grow. And there's great strength there. But the, there's no doubt that the traditional denominations are, are shedding their nominals and that'll, that'll continue for some time. I mean, one of the interesting shifts is that it's, it's becoming more apparent and obvious in a way that Christianity is a minority religion in mm. Australia. And that will shift politics. Um, in some ways, people are more willing to pay attention to minorities. Uh, there's a bias against majoritarian <laughs> views. And in, in a sense, there's some tension there um, uh, for the agnostics or atheists in that they're becoming, moving towards it being a more major role. And But uh, so there's that, whether Christians will be afforded any sympathy because they're a minority is, um, I'd be quite skeptical about that, but that is a, that is an interesting shift that's taking place in Australia. Yeah, and and back to your point, Lyle, isn't that part of the reason why there's um, like lobbying to uh, have people tick no religion? Isn't that part of the purpose so that um, if Christ, if there's less Christianity statistically or Christian statistically, then maybe that's less benefits um, for churches or tax breaks yeah. for pastors? Isn't that some of the motive? Yeah, absolutely, Caleb. That's definitely a large part of the motive that's driving uh, some of the more aggressive secularists to uh, try and have the census, you know, go in this direction. As I say, um, no problem with people being more honest in, in the census, but there is a political motive there and it's designed to uh, try and attack uh, support for school chaplaincy, for instance. Um, uh, yeah, tax breaks for uh, the clergy, which I think are quite legitimate. Uh, that the clergy actually contributes to the uh, social and economic well-being of society. That's why there are uh, special tax arrangements there. But but these things are driven. Uh, these campaigns uh, in the last uh, two or three censuses have been driven by an animus towards Christianity. But um, for the reasons Mark said, it, it may well backfire because the average Australian, um, whilst they may not uh, be someone of faith or, or Christian. Uh, they are sympathetic to the underdog and they're not driven by an aggressive animus towards Christianity in the same way that some of those running these campaigns are. So uh, I'm fairly relaxed about our position. Um, yes, it would be great to, to continue to you know, have the cultural benefits of Christianity because it certainly does bring benefit for the common good. Uh, but I think the average Australian um, is well disposed in spite of some of the recent scandals uh, in the church, which have uh, been terrible and shameful. Uh, I think the average Australian is willing to give us a fair go and uh, are willing to consider um, the minority concerns of, of what is now you know, clearly a minority group. Mm. But and from, So from a cultural perspective, why do you think, what is, what's happening in Australia in relation to God, Jesus? Christianity like why is this uh, trend so dramatic since maybe the 60s or 70s uh, away from God Christian is it affluent is it immigration uh, is it politics uh, what you know what what is it 
I think the big shift towards no religion is particularly notable, um, noticeable for people from Northern Europe and those that are descended from them, and also people from Northeastern Asia, that is Chinese people who've uh, been strongly influenced by communism. Many of the other um, groups within Australia, people from Southern Europe or Southeast Asia, are strongly religious and in majority Christian often in those cohorts. So um, it, it's uh, it, so you'd need to ask really the cultural factors that are shaping the trajectory of Western, particularly Northwestern European uh, peoples. Uh, and I think it's the working out of the Enlightenment. It's working its way through education, through uh, in, in, in the form of postmodernism, uh, through our universities. So basically the, the, the elite, as it were, the cultural elite in Australia, which are um, white North, Northern Europeans have um, over centuries been turning away from God. I think affluence is part of that, but it's by no means the only reason. Um, but amongst other groups, if you looked at Southeast Asians, I think you'll find a very different trajectory. So it's it's not the whole story of Australia. It's a story of part of Australia, mm. um, the loss of religion. Yeah, really interesting. Well, what are your thoughts, Lyle? Yeah, I agree with Mark. I think that um, secularism has been driven by that Enlightenment uh, um, philosophy that's crept in over the last couple of hundred years and has captured our institutions, particularly our universities, our education system. And I guess the downside of that is um, the, the atheism that drives much of that philosophy does um, remove the idea that human creatures are made in the image of God and therefore that human life is sacred. So we're seeing this play out in a whole range of uh, areas politically in terms of you know radical abortion to birth legislation that we've seen sweep Australian state parliaments in recent years, euthanasia legislation. Uh, we've obviously seen the redefinition of marriage because people now no longer accept um, the idea of you know a, a created order that was seen in the past to have come from God, even though it's completely backed up by science, the idea of biology and the complementarity of genders. So we've seen marriage degenders. We've uh, degendered. We've embarked on a massive social experiment uh, to the point where we can't even define what a woman is anymore, and we're having disputes over fairness in women's sport, etc. So this is the fruit of uh, a couple of hundred years, and particularly an acceleration of that in the in the last um you know 70 or so years so uh ideas have consequences and um what's playing out in the census uh, will continue to have consequences uh, if we don't uh, rediscover i guess the roots of our civilization what has made uh, us uh, a free and largely prosperous and just nation that uh, these things didn't just develop in a vacuum they did come from christianity and uh, mm -hmm. i hope the decline of Christianity that we're seeing in the census will uh, cause people to pause and just think about, hang on, what, what are these values that we are throwing overboard and uh, do we like the trajectory that our society is on as a result of that? Yeah. Well, we're really the, the post-Christian era just continues to become stronger and stronger, doesn't it, for our for our country. We're truly post-Christian uh, now and, 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 and really those, those roots of Christianity, as you're talking about, Lyle, um, I think for your average Aussie, you know, we're probably a long way from that. Uh, my own uh, suburb right here where I live, uh, Lang Warren, was actually in the Herald Sun today uh, in relation to the census. So uh, there's the there's the news flash. Town not so faithful. Lang Warren uh, has the most non-believers, so in all of Australia, 
And uh, a lot of my mates live there. Uh, I played for the Langwarren Soccer Club for 15 years. Uh, so really, really uh, interesting. Like this is right out in the southern suburbs of Melbourne. So 45 kilometres from the city. And um, just those roots of Christianity are really uh, not recognised uh, anymore in our culture and just not really seen as relevant. Um, in my opinion, I don't think it's a very, it's not a militant kind of let's get rid of Christianity type mentality that I see uh, locally. It's just more of a drifting away, maybe a naivety uh, to where a lot of our moral framework has come from as a country. Uh, people aren't really against it per se. I mean, you can't be against anything really, can you, in a relative, uh, in, with the moral relative uh, moral uh you know truth is relative type culture you can't really be against anything so no one's against me as a christian or a pastor uh but there's just not really a recognition uh of, of those foundations and there's also not really much of an interest like people i find uh are just as a pastor locally i just find that people are generally comfortable or like to give off the sense that they are comfortable and life is okay and i've got everything in control i don't think that that's really the truth because a lot of people's lives tend to be falling apart people are very lonely people are unsure about purpose and the meaning of life but uh but there's kind of this almost uh front i suppose that people put on that i'm fine without god without truth uh, without meaning without really searching the depths of why am i here uh, on the earth and surely all of those cultural things and local suburbs with normal people kicking around type thinking or lack of thinking uh, is contributing to um, a whole bunch of this as well. Do, do, you, do you have any thoughts on that, Mark? Yeah, I wonder whether there's an ethnic component uh, in the sense that uh, whether there's a higher proportion of Anglo-Celtic uh, people in Langwarren, that would um, definitely, that would definitely account. So these are, these are aspirational, these would be aspirational Anglo-Celts who are seeking to make a good lifestyle for themselves. They can't afford to live in the inner city, perhaps. Um, and they've also disconnected by moving into a, what's been a growth area. They've disconnected from other social roots and so on from wherever they've come from and grown up. It's a boom suburb. So um, I think those two factors together would suggest that there's opportunities to help ground people um, but yeah, so that that would be that would be the um, uh, a major factor. I think if you're looking in areas where there are lots of migrants, there's going to be much higher religious adherence. Um, uh. what, what about the other religions, Mark? So I know that you're quite experienced. Um, you, you, you're known as a world expert on Islam and things like that. So what about other? religions um correct me if i'm wrong here but i think the census data show that there's a slight increase in, yes. in other religions um is that yeah, so is... migration and people just holding on to their their faith that they've come with from their homeland or what is that mark well i think the presence of other religions has mainly been due to migration but the growth in some of the categories is demographic so um there's more uh, Muslims now in Australia than members of the Uniting Church, uh, or people that are willing to tick that box. So that's I think that's been mainly due to demographic growth in in recent years. Um, Australian immigration is not favouring Muslims over the last ten to twenty years. So, and I think what you'll see is because those some of those minority migrant um, 
groups, Buddhism would be example, Hinduism, those groups, because they've come into Australia through migration, particularly in recent decades, they'll continue to grow and expand because their demographic profile will be younger. Um, they've got a lot of potential for for future future. We'll see more and more. We'll see more and more uh, people from those religions active in public life. They'll be more and more present in our society. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a significant shift. So so um, you. Are you saying, Mark, that do you think the future for Australia looks like a continuation of these kind of statistics, Christianity going down, non-religion going up, um, with migration, other religions going up, and therefore, as you're saying, um, those uh, Aussies getting involved in, in, in um, the culture more, having more of an influence from a Sikh or a Hindu or a Islamic kind of background? I suppose that's the pluralism of our culture, isn't it um, just increasing, expanding? I think those groups will all struggle with nominalism. Their children's children, will they be active attending the temple or the mosque? Um, that's, an, that's an important question. Uh, and um, really the future of those groups depends upon how active they are in propagating their faith to the next generations, but it will take some generations to see what the you know how well they how well they thrive um at the same time you'll see a continued shedding of nominals from the from the christian categories but it's important to realize that there are branches of the christian church in australia that are in reasonably healthy shape and have been growing for decades so um you you'll see you'll see gradual shifts of different kinds for the future I, my guess is coming back to what Lyle was speaking about, the, the energy of the atheists, as it were, that wanted to um, discount the Christian presence is that some of the energy will go out of those groups. I think yeah. you'll still get the political push to change privileges for religions uh, in taxes and other ways. But, but the, I don't think we'll ever see again the same kind of energy that went into getting people to put atheists on the census. They've, they've sort of made their point there and... Uh, they'll be moving on to other battles. Um, so yeah, I think we'll see continued continued okay. transformation. I wouldn't say that Australia is on a track to becoming completely secularized society by any means. Religion's got a lot in it. I mean, there was this view 10, 20 years ago that God is dead and religion's on its way out. That's not true <laughs> all over the world. And yeah. as, as Australia continues to bring migrants in from Southeast Asia, from the Pacific, from South Asia, we're going to see um, growth of all the religions that are represented by those immigrants, including Christianity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. What What are your thoughts, Lyle, on the future for Australia and uh, Christianity and, and and religion and all all of these things? I actually think it's quite bright, Caleb. Um, I'm optimistic about the future. I I think there's a real opportunity uh, now that we're having this, I guess, sifting and, and the distilling and getting to, you know, okay, who's really fair income about their faith? And uh, with what modern secularism and uh, materialistic culture has to offer, I think it's, it, it's a very empty offering for many people, as you were just saying, uh, Caleb. You don't have to scratch very deeply in many people's lives to find you know, areas of dysfunction and disappointment and anxiety uh, and things which only uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ and in community with his people can really uh, fill. So I think as those Christians who are serious about 
uh, the gospel, serious about their faith, serious about Christian community, serious about impacting their communities and going to the pain points that every community has beyond the veneer of our materialistic self-sufficiency, I think there's huge opportunities. And uh, I think the light will only shine brighter. And uh, we see through history, this has always been the case. There's been cycles of, of uh, decline. Uh, and then as society falls apart uh, around uh, the people of faith, uh, people of the church, um, uh, that uh, it, it becomes more and more attractive. And I think that will be the case. And I agree with Mark about the, uh, the wonderful migrants that are coming from uh, Asia and the Pacific who really are re-evangelizing us and showing us uh, the way through their zeal and their commitment and example of faith in Christ. So um, I think there's loads of upside. Uh, it's probably good that we're shedding uh, the nominals. Let's get serious and uh, let's get on with the mission of the gospel. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's a bright, bright future ahead. I had a, yeah, a, a thought, an image. Of, I had an image that occurred to me is that like a candle shines brighter in the pitch black than it, of dark of the dark night than it does in the dusk. Yeah. And I think right. we've been coming through the dusk. Um, and one of the things that really is important is something that, that Lyle said, that the Christian view of the human person is that we're made in the image of God. And that 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 idea, which has had such a huge influence on, on Western civilization, has been in decline in our culture. And uh, the alternatives are becoming clearer. Um, and they're pretty dark alternatives, actually, uh, the purely materialistic view of the human person. We're seeing the influence of the alternatives, but they're becoming less credible too as time passes. So there's a huge opportunity for the church to speak with a clear voice about what it means to be human. I think this issue of who we are as human beings is the most divisive and difficult, profound question that Australian society faces today. And this uh, shift in the census is pointing to a crisis of identity uh, for, for us as a nation. What does it mean to be human? You know, what does it mean to have an identity at all? We're seeing the, the issues over women's sport that are just but one sort of sub-issue that really go back to this deeper issue. And I, I just really hope and pray and I believe the church will step step up and that its voice will be clearer and people will be able to think more, with more clarity uh, about what does it mean to accept that Christian message that we there is an inherent human dignity because we're made in the image of God. Yeah, I agree. I, I think for me as a pastor, you know the census results aren't surprising but yeah I've, i'm i'm positive i feel excited about the future i'd rather know uh where people stand in their faith or lack of faith uh, and actually work from that position of clarity uh, as a pastor i think for me thinking about my role in the community thinking about my church or my friends who have churches or the church across australia um i i really agree with you mark i think clarity is so important and, and, and maybe that's where the church uh, has not served uh, the Australian community as well as it could have in that area of clarity and what we're actually standing for. And uh, what we stand for needs should be uh, very different uh, to what the culture stands for. Really, the message of Jesus is quite radical, obviously, to the normal uh, human way of living, to the, to the human condition. And, and I think that's a challenge I'm finding in myself. Like, how can I be more clear about what we actually stand for. Because uh, Jesus meeting God, I mean, Jesus is irresistible. He's the best friend you could ever have. I think a lot of the problem with the church is that there's a bunch of other obstacles that are kind of 
we get in the road, I suppose, of facilitating that connection of, of your average Aussie to, hey, this is who God really is. And, uh, you know, he wants to know you and you would want to know him if you met him, you know, and, and get all the churchy mechanics, religious stuff out the road that's not that's not helping or not facilitating um, connecting people to God. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. But I think the church, and I'd love to hear your opinion, guys, but I think the church really needs to assess uh, its methods. Obviously, our mission never changes, our message never changes, but uh, the methods and the way that we approach um, is, is really, really important. I love the census data in that sense because I know, therefore, who I'm talking to um, out there in the community. I'm not having some, I suppose, perverted idea of what an Aussie is like. I'm like, okay, this is where it's at. And embrace the uh, reality of that. And then, um, well, what methods uh, can we use as a church to represent the gospel better. So what are your thoughts on that, guys, on, on the church and what the church could be doing better? I think um, it's important that the church rediscovers its moral voice. I think um, it, the church has made a big mistake in the last hundred or so years in retreating to pietism. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, pietism is important. Our relationship with Jesus, as you've just so uh, well said, Caleb, is so important to know Jesus as a friend. But uh, the great project of the Enlightenment, uh, to quote uh, Tom Wright, was to put uh, the God stuff upstairs in some sort of spiritual realm in the clouds and to leave the downstairs affairs of running the world uh, to those who are secular, those who are non-religious. And um, that's that hasn't worked out well. And uh, the church has allowed itself to be co-opted into that. Um, and therefore, the world has missed uh, the moral voice of the church. And uh, it's allowed itself to be portrayed as just being, you know, moralising or, or, or judgmental. But I, I think uh, courage and uh, a willingness to be countercultural uh, is something the church really needs to take on. And that's part of uh, turning this light on in the darkness. And uh, so I think we've got to rediscover uh, our moral voice, our ability to speak, um, and, and always, you know, truth with grace. Uh, but uh, we, we must speak because um, we've allowed ourselves to be silenced by the mantra that, oh, you're just being judgmental, you're, you're only against things, you know, and, and yeah, there, there might be some validity in cr critiques like that, but uh, the effect has been silence and silence is not an option. We've got to uh, continue to speak into the public square, uh, into yeah. the moral vacuum, uh, despite, you know, the fact that it might be unpopular at times. Yeah. How, how do we do that better, Lyle? Because I think um, the tone of, of the church has this tone of being judgmental. I think that is a criticism that um, comes from the average Aussie. How, how do we do that better, speak the truth without um, this tone of condemnation? Look, I, I think um, this, this tone of condemnation is probably a little bit of a, a caricature that has been allowed to develop. Most contemporary Christian leaders that I know do speak um, with great creativity and grace into the public square uh, when, when they do, and I don't think we hear uh, enough of it. So I think we've got to be willing to withstand those who will will you know put up straw men to try and um, discredit us or, or to cower us uh, into silence. So I think I think you know courage is probably the first ingredient. I, I would rather see uh, church leaders uh, err a little uh, rather than not speak at all. But um, I think yeah. there are you know creative ways we can engage the culture. There's a lot of thoughtful. Uh, people in the church. Uh, I think it's it's um, you know being able to speak into 
uh, I think the obvious failings of our culture and to, in, in a pastoral way, point those out and then point to uh, something better. And then most importantly, we as Christian communities have got to be able to model uh, the gospel. And, um, you know, and this is a, a much bigger issue, but, but one I think the church must grapple with, and that is the unity in the body of Christ. And uh, yeah. perhaps, you know, our marginalisation as evidenced uh, in these latest census figures might drive us towards uh, the ecumenism of the trenches, the fact that we are a little bit under siege in a, in a hostile culture with um, aggressive secularists who, who do have an animus towards us. So hopefully that might bring us together across denominational boundaries. And then, um, you know, if, if we can show that love for one another and the ability to work together, that, of course, is one of the greatest uh, witnesses to uh, the gospel, yeah. um, uh, as we read in the scriptures, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So I think getting well, your own house in order is, uh, is, is another way. So courage to speak to the culture, uh, finding each other and, and an expression of, of unity in our local communities and in the nation, uh, I think will go a long way towards addressing uh, some of the malaise that we find ourselves in. That's great. Fantastic. Yeah, I think, um, I, I, I think, um, a lot of the issue that I find as well as a pastor, when I look across the church, I just feel like so much of the church is focused on itself uh, and focused inwardly, focused on preaching to the choir, so to speak. Um, I just wonder, I suppose, to your point, Lyle, um, getting better at speaking to the felt needs in the community is definitely something I'm challenged with. It's easy to speak to my mates at church when I preach a sermon, um, but actually thinking through uh, well, most people aren't in church now or listening to podcasts from pastors or Christians. And, you know, there might be 96, 97% of Australians who aren't really involved in a church or hearing a sermon or really interested in that ecumenical discussion or whatever. Um, so how do we speak better to the felt needs um, of the culture and, and, and be more outward facing, I suppose, uh, which is really hard because like for any community or any human, it's always easier to go with the people you like and the people that are familiar. Uh, but the great call of Christianity is actually it's the only organisation that really is more interested in its non-members, in those that aren't here. Uh, it should be, uh, and that's that's really the mission of Jesus is 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 not for the uh, healthy, but for the sick and for those who don't know. And uh, I, I hope, Lyle, like you're saying, that this is a time that this is a kind of uh, divine kick up the backside to go, hey, church in Australia, uh, sort yourself out better, get your focus right. Uh, maybe a few less conferences with ourselves and a bit more uh, thinking through strategically how we can be better follow Jesus and better uh, bring the gospel to, to our communities. So, mm. what about I had, I, had, I had three thoughts about that question. I agreed okay. with, with Lyle's comments as well. Um, one is I think uh, the church should no longer be defending uh, traditional Western culture we should be positioning ourselves as a radical as having a radical perspective what do i mean by that just an example with the with the marriage debates um sometimes christians were heard as speaking up for traditional marriage but i think we should have been speaking up for christian marriage and that could be played out in a number of different areas so there are many people in the community who regret the fading of western culture um and it's it's traditions of liberty and those things I, I feel grieved about as well. But as a Christian, I think we need to equip our people and ourselves to speak with a radical gospel voice. The second point is 
I think evangelism has often assumed a kind of Christian consciousness or Christian awareness. So you could appeal to people's sense of sin, for example, in presenting the gospel. Now, I don't think that is is as strong as it used to be. And you can't assume that people even know what sin is <laughs> or that it yeah. exists as a category in people's thought. So we have to dig deeper and equip our people in presenting the gospel um, to actually engage with the worldviews that are in secular society and to challenge them at their roots, at their point out their failures, their inconsistencies. So we need to equip people for evangelism that, that kind of digs deep into the into the worldview issues. What does it mean to be human is a key issue. And I think every Christian who wants to be an evangelist needs to be able to speak cogently and powerfully about what it is to be a human being and how Jesus Christ answers that question for us. The third thing has to do with discipleship. I think we've had a crisis of discipleship in Western Christianity, and we've been um, disabled in a number of different ways. Uh, I think Pentecostals have picked up some of that challenge and addressed some of the challenge, but the Enlightenment has caused us in our discipleship to focus on um, basically the renewal of the mind of Christians, but not really equipping them in their in the whole of their life to follow Christ. And um, I think you need to actually go dig, again, dig quite deep in the way you disciple people to transform their worldviews, to equip them to live the life of the spirit, to be people of prayer, um, to be uh, have a sense of time that's a, 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 a biblical view of time and not just a kind of contemporary cultural view of time, not to have a divided world where your religion is what you do on Sundays and what you do during the week is something else. So I think, yeah, so those three things, a different, a more radical view to engaging with the culture, um, equipping our people in evangelism to dig deep and, and challenge the secular worldviews that people have been captured by. And thirdly, to have a much more comprehensive approach to discipleship and, and to get past this pietistic view um, that, that Lyle spoke about. It's great. Really, really good. Well, I really appreciate your feedback today, guys, and just your thoughts on the census and uh, responding to it. Uh, maybe if you'd like to say a final word as uh, we finish up, but I uh, appreciate that you are out there um, as a voice, uh, maybe sometimes crying out in the wilderness, but as a voice doing your bit uh, for the work of the kingdom of God and uh, appreciate your flexibility even jumping in here today. So would you like to say something to finish off, Lyle? Uh, just uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak into this, uh, particularly in such esteemed company with uh, Mark and yourself. My only final reflection would be uh, that this is a great opportunity for young people who might be looking uh, to be countercultural uh, for, for the reasons we've discussed about the culture. And uh, I just think um, that uh, young people, they do have a, a great ability to detect uh, what's authentic and what's not. I think we've seen the complete failure of the 1960s sexual revolution, its ability to provide uh, sexual flourishing, relational flourishing, family flourishing, uh, a whole range of things there that I think uh, young people will be attracted towards the message uh, of the church right. because uh, it's such a countercultural message. So, um, I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to finish on, a, on, on that note of optimism. I love it. I love it. That's a great point. Mark, do you have any final reflections? Well, Caleb, you're in apparently the most um, secular municipality in perhaps the most secular state in Australia. So you're on the cutting edge of the challenge. And uh, I just in, encourage you to uh, to do as um, 
as Lyle was saying, and and get those young people to be radical in presenting the gospel. And I think you'll see a great hunger and a need. Maybe you're at the point in in a in a place in a time where there will be great opportunities because the emptiness um, that surrounds you will be deeply dissatisfying to people. So. Um, yeah, I'd be really curious to see how how, the, how your ministry goes in in that in that place on the on the you're on the front line there. That's great, as as we all are, so in our different areas and fields. Mm-hmm. So, well, I really appreciate your time today, guys, and uh, enjoy the rest of it. Pleasure. Thank Thanks you. for having us. I trust you were impacted by that leadership lessons podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts about today's podcast. Please comment down below and please review the podcast and share it with a friend. Doing this inspires us and helps others to find the podcast. See you next time.